One more thing to say. Janet wanted me to mention Valentine's Day. I see it's been recognized here, so happy Valentine's Day. Uh, 59 years ago, I asked uh, Janet to be my wife. I was uh, 21. She was three, I think. But <laughs> Brother Sammy, come here. It certainly is a privilege to be back at Bethel today. Uh, I've had many wonderful memories over the years coming to, to Bethel and have stayed in many of his homes. And I want to thank Brother Larry and Sister Bacha for having me this weekend. What a wonderful host they were to me, and we really enjoyed it. And just a pleasure being here filling in for Brother Ronald this morning. This morning, for a subject, the Bible speaks of seven women in the Bible that says that they were barren. They could not have children. And I want to speak on these seven barren women this morning. We'll find out that these seven women, although they were barren, by nature could not have a child. Yet God is going to bless each and every one of these seven women to have a son. And these seven sons that came from these seven barren women, each one of them is a beautiful figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. They begin by being all a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ is because their birth was not of a natural sense. It was from God. By nature, they couldn't have a child, but God blessed them to have a child. And we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ's birth was not of a natural sense, since he was born of a virgin. By nature, virgins don't have bear children, but God blessed Mary to have the Son of God, with God being the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at these seven barren women, and I could spend a whole hour on each one showing the various ways that they're like the Lord Jesus Christ, but on each one I'm just going to make a point or two so that I can get through the whole list today. And hopefully you, you, the Lord will bless that you'll be able to see the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as it's presented today. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 30 it says, But Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now we understand through reading the scriptures that Sarai is going to have her name changed to Sarah. And her husband Abram is going to have his name changed to Abraham. So I'm going to call them Sarah and Abraham to begin with so we know who they're going to wind up eventually being. It's Sarah and Abraham. Sarah was barren and could not have a child. Okay, not only was she barren, but at the point that she does have a child, she has reached the age where women that could have children do not have a many more because she will be 90 years old when she has this child. And so she's got double whammy. She was barren, and she's old. But yet God is going to bless Sarah's womb to produce a child, and we're not going to go through Hagar and all them because I just want to touch on the child she's going to have and how that child's like the Lord Jesus Christ. But the son that she has is like the Lord Jesus Christ is that he is foretold under the mother foretold that she's going to have this son. And matter of fact, God names this son in both cases. In Sarah's case, in Genesis uh, chapter 17, verse 19, it says, And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Here he is foretold, she is foretold, uh, Abraham and, and Sarah is foretold that they're going to have a son. 
and God's going to tell them what their son's going to be. And God says, I'm going to establish my covenant with him. Now, in the case of Mary, an angel tells her, foretells her, says, Mary, fear not, thou hast found favor with God. Now shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father Jacob, and over the house of Jacob shall he reign, uh, uh, house of David shall he reign forever. So he is foretold. And he said, I will make my covenant with him and with his seed after him. Then we find the most common way that is seen of Isaac being the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. His father offers him for a sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22. He tells him, uh, 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 Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 verse 1, he says, take now thy son. And he says, thy only son. Well, we understand Abraham had another son, Isaac, but it's the only son God's recognizing, the only God promised him. And Isaac, in that sense, is his only son. He's the son of promise. He said, take now thy son and offer him upon a mountain that I will show thee. And we'll find that Isaac's a picture of Christ like this, is that he is a willing sacrifice. He is not fighting this. He is willing to be a sacrifice for his father. And who was a willing sacrifice? The Lord Jesus Christ was a willing sacrifice of his father. And we know the rest of the story, but because of his faithfulness, God sends down a ram and replaces Isaac on the cross uh, on the altar that he was going to be sacrificed on and he didn't have to die. Then we come to barren woman number two. And we're going to find three of these in the, in the, the same family here. Isaac's wife is barren in Genesis chapter 25. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, the scriptures tells us, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was intrigued of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Okay, Rebekah was barren. But Isaac intrigued the Lord for his wife, and she bore a son. As a matter of fact, she's going to bear two sons. And their names are going to be called Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is the son that is uh, the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in this case. Because the scriptures tells us that the Lord said, For Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And Jacob is the son that's going to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now how is Jacob a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have your scriptures, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses here is writing, and he says in verse 9, he said, For the Lord's portion is his people, and Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He said, The Lord's portion is his people, and Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. And here's what the Lord means by that. You take Abraham. Abraham was not the lot of God's inheritance because he had two sons. He had one by Hagar, Ishmael, and he had one by Sarah, which was Isaac. But Ishmael, even though he came from Abraham, was never considered to be a Jew. Matter of fact, he was a father of the Ishmaelites, or he's a father of the Arabs over there in the Arab, the countries that have uh, the Arabs among them. He's the father of those people. He was, Abraham was not the lot of his inheritance because he had a son that was never considered to be Jewish. Same when you come to Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And where you might say, well, the problem with uh, Abraham was he didn't have Ishmael by his wife. He had it by the handmaid Hagar. 
well, that don't hold true here because Rebecca has both of these boys, his wife. But one is named Jacob and the other named Esau. And Esau was the father of the Edomites. And only Jacob would be considered Jewish. But Jew, Jacob had 12 sons and all 12 sons by two different wives and two different handmaids. These four different women came these 12 sons and all 12 are considered Jewish. And all 12 had inheritance in the promised land. So all that came from Jacob was Jewish or Israelites. And all that came from Jesus is spiritual Israelites, who Israel represents. They're all in the family of God. All that came from Jacob it was in God's family and in a natural sense. And all that came from Jesus is in the family of God. And that he was a lot of his inheritance. We come to barren woman number three. I go to Genesis. I'm trying to keep in order here the scriptures. Chapter 29. In chapter 29, in verse 31, it says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now you remember the story in the scriptures where Jacob goes to Uncle Laban's house, and he thinks he's going to work there seven years, and he's working for Rachel. Rachel has caught his eye, and he's going to work seven years for Rachel. But when he comes to seven years, Uncle Laban throws him a curveball. He says, well, you've got to take Leah because she's the oldest. She's the firstborn. You've got to take her, and if you want Rachel, you're going to have to work seven more years. And so Jacob, uh, Jacob worked 17 years because he, I mean 14 years because he wanted uh, Rachel. And God saw that Rachel, Leah was hated in the sense that it was not who he wanted for a wife. He hated her for a sense that she was pushed on him. So God blessed her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so God is going to bless, eventually is going to bless Rachel to have a son. So in Genesis chapter 30, I go to verse 23 and it says, in verse 22, And God remembered Rachel... And God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and says, God has taken away my reproach. What does she mean by this? God has taken away my reproach. You realize that the Jews, it was a reproach unto a woman to be barren. Why was it a reproach? Because of a covenant God had made with Israel. Now hold your finger there and go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is making a covenant with Israel. He begins in chapter 7 by telling them that they're going to go into the land and there's going to be seven nations there that you're going to cast out. With my help, you're going to cast out. And he named seven nations. He said, you're going to inherit this land. And then in verse 12, he tells them this. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercies which he swore unto thy fathers. Now listen to verse 14. Here's part of the covenant. 
and thou shalt be blessed above all people, and there shall not be male nor female among you or your cattle. He promised them that if you are obedient, you will not be barren. So what's that saying about Rachel? She's got a reproach. Whether you consider her obedient or not, the people considered her disobedient. The people considered her to be, she must be some kind of sinner. Maybe we don't even know what her sin is. But God had promised that you're obedient. There shall not be male nor female barren among you. And we're going to see another woman carries this same reproach. But in verse 24, back in uh, Genesis chapter 30, verse 24, it says, she, in verse 23, she conceived and bare a son, and God has taken away my reproach. And she, said, and she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Now, the word Joseph means adding. His name literally means adding. And what God had promised, because of Joseph, I'm going to add to you another son. And she'll have another son. His name was Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was added because of Joseph. And Joseph in the scripture is probably more ways he's like the Lord Jesus Christ than any other character. I heard the elder Sonny Piles preaching one time. He was preaching on Joseph, and he made the comment. He says, I've found 155 ways that Joseph is a picture of Christ. Well, that's a lot of ways. And here is one right here to me, his name. His name was adding. Because of Joseph... Benjamin was added to their family. Well, because of Christ, we've all been added to God's family. All of us have been added because of Christ. Then you find Joseph becomes a dreamer. He's having some dreams. And he tells his brethren about some sheaves that he had a dream of. And he said there was 12 sheaves. And he said 11 of those sheaves had obeisance under my sheaf. The word obeisance. I looked up the word obeisance and the word obeisance means that you, when you're obeisance to someone, you surrender authority unto them. So what Joseph was telling his brethren is, you're going to render authority unto me. Now they didn't do it willingly. They hated him because of his dream. They hated him because his father loved him more than he did the rest of those boys. They hated him. Joseph was like the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came unto his own, his own received him not. He was hated of the ones that he was here for. He was hated by them, the Jews. Then we find he became uh, really uh, obeisance over them when we find that he goes, is sold by his brethren into Egypt. They sell him into Egypt. And there, he is put in prison for something he didn't do. He was put in prison for something he didn't do. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered for something he didn't do. He suffered for something he didn't do. But then, Pharaoh says this about Joseph. He said, I noticed that everything his hand toucheth, it prospers. Now, who's that a picture of? Everything the Lord Jesus Christ touches, prospers. 
He never fails at anything. Then Pharaoh said this about him. Pharaoh said that Joseph shall be second under the throne only unto me. Well, Jesus Christ acknowledges that in the throne of God, he is only second to his father. My father, which he gave them me, is greater than all. And so we see that he's such a picture, and you could, like Brother Sunday said, he found 155 ways. I may have mentioned five. And so he is full of ways that he is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's go to number four. We go to Judges chapter 13. In the book of Judges chapter 13, And in verse 2 it says, And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and she bare not. And the angel of the Lord peered unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not. But thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. And she bore a son, and his name we call Samson. His mother was barren. Now Samson becomes a Nazarite. And there's a difference between a Nazarite and a Nazarene. A Nazarene was someone that was uh, a, that lived in Nazareth. He was a uh, descendant of Nazareth. I mean, that's where his home was. But a Nazarite was someone that gave his life unto the Lord. He gave his life unto the Lord. And you go to Numbers chapter 6, and it gives you the laws that a Nazarite had to pertain to that, give, that gave his life, dedicated his life unto the Lord. And one thing, they could not have any strong drink. They could not drink alcohol. They could not drink wine. They could not eat meat grapes from a vine. And also, a razor was not to come upon their head. That was the pledge of a Nazarite, showing that he was giving himself unto the God by not allowing a razor to come upon his head. Now, what was the characteristic that you so much remember about Samson? His strength. That is what we remember about Samson. He is strength. And that is a picture of God because of his strength. Said about the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, All power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. All power is given unto me. Samson is a picture of his strength. Now you read about Samson, and one time he kills a thousand Philistines with just the jawbone of an ass. But we come to his greatest victory, found in chapter 16, verse 30, where Delilah has deceived Samson. They have put out his eyes. And they have cut his hair. So he lost his strength. And they've put him into prison. And he's really pushing the grist mill to grind out the corn. Well, they had a coliseum there. And they had sport among those days. And they brought Samson. And his hair's beginning to grow back out. And so he tells the servant that is leading him around because he's blind, can't see anymore. He says, set me between the two pillars of this Colosseum. And the scripture says that the house was full and it said there was 3,000 sitting on the roof. And there must have been quite a crowd to have 3,000 that's up on the roof, hanging their legs over, sitting up on the roof. And Samson says, let me die with the Philistines. And his strength is coming back to him, and he pushes those pillows over. And the scripture says in uh, Judges 16.30 that he killed more Philistines in his death 
than he ever did in his life, meaning his greatest victory he ever had was in his death. Whose greatest victory was in his death? The Lord Jesus Christ. His greatest victory was in his death. So Samson being a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the next two I want to look at are so similar, I'm going to try to do them together because they are similar in the ways that they are like the Lord Jesus Christ. The next barren woman is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 5, it says, But Hannah, he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Now in chapter 2, verse 5, she'll say, she'll call herself barren, but that's what it meant. The Lord had shut up her womb. And she prays to God for a child, Hannah does. And she told the Lord that she would give, if he would give her a child, she would give him the child as soon as she had weaned it. You give me a child and I'll give you a child. So what she is doing there is just like Samson, she is committing him from birth to be a Nazarite. And the scriptures will tell you that uh, Samuel did not cut his hair either. But Samuel was the child that was born from Hannah. At that time, Israel did not have kings like the other nations had them. They had prophets and they had priests, but they did not have kings. And Samuel had been their prophet and leading the children of Israel for many years. And he had a couple sons, but his sons were wicked. And so they saw that Samuel was getting old. So Israel cried out and says, we want a king over us like all the other nations have. We want a king over us. And Samuel was very displeased with this. But you go to chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. and verse 7, God's going to tell Samuel this. He says, The people have not rejected you. They have rejected me. God never intended for Israel to ever have a, uh, uh, a worldly king. You know why? Because they had one. He was their king. You don't need a king. You've got a king. But when they rejected Samuel, he said, they're not rejecting you. They rejected me. Then he told them what kind of king that they would have. He says, I'm going to let you have a king. You want one. I never intend you to have one, but I'm going to let you have one. Here's the kind of king you're going to have. He's going to take your sons and daughters and he's going to put them to work for him. Sons in the armies and the daughters serving him. He's going to take of your vineyards. He's going to take of your fields. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like our government. Taking your sons to fight and taking your money away from you to build up his kingdom. And so he gave them a king. And the first king that he gave them was Saul. And Saul stood head and shoulders over all the men. But the king that was chosen by God is going to come second. And it's going to be King David. And that's God's choice to be king over Israel, David. And David, in so many ways, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's places in the Bible that you read the word David. It doesn't mean King David. It means the Lord Jesus Christ. Even his name is David. He's called the root and the offspring of David. It means that he came from David, and David came from him, which by nature is an impossibility. You either come from him or he come from you. But David, both. 
He was the root and the offspring of David. And even his name was David. Meaning God is all in all. But Samuel is the forerunner of David. He's the forerunner. Now what does a forerunner do? A forerunner prepares the way for one to come and serve in their kingdom. Samuel is the forerunner of David. But Samuel is going to die before David begins his reign. Now stay with me on this point. Samuel is going to die before David begins his reign. Another way Samuel is like the Lord Jesus Christ is that when the first king Saul was looking for some advice and he had heard of the prophet and his servant said, there's a prophet in the land talking about Samuel and he said this about him. Everything he says comes to pass. You can trust this man because everything he says comes to pass. Isn't that a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Everything he says comes to pass. And Jesus was a prophet too. Then the one he is most connected with in being a forerunner is found in the next barren woman, which is found in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, it says in verse 5, And there was in the days of Herod the king of Judah, Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And verse 7 it says, And they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Here's a double whammy again. So many of them have similar traits among them. Uh, Sarah and Abraham... Sarah was barren and they were well in years, 90 and 100 years old. Here, Elizabeth and Zacharias, she's barren and well stricken in years. But God's going to bless her to have a son and his name is going to be called John the Baptist. And verse 24 says, And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus has the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. I told you a while ago, it's a reproach for a woman to be barren. And she says, The Lord has looked on me to take away my reproach among men. She was reproached because she was barren. But unlike Rachel, I know this about Elizabeth. She said, my reproach among men. She did not call her reproach a reproach in front of God. Because go back, I skipped over verse purposely. I read you verse 5 and verse 7. Look at what verse 6 says. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. It said that Zacharias and Elizabeth were both righteous before God. Now just think about the reproach that Elizabeth had. It's bad when you suffer reproach and you're guilty of whatever it did that brought you your reproach. That's bad enough. But think about having reproach that was not your fault. All the people thought it, but they were wrong. The people must have thought that she must have had some kind of sin because she's barren and God has promised these uh, Israelites that if you're obedient, 
You shall not be barren. You shall not be barren, male nor female. Yet here she was barren, but God said that they were both righteous. And so that's why she says, he has taken away my reproach among men. She didn't have no reproach to have to be taken away from God. Just man's reproach of seeing her that she was some kind of sinner. And she bore a man by the name of John the Baptist. Now, who is John the Baptist a forerunner of? He was directly the forerunner of Christ. He was the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way. What does a forerunner do? He prepares the way. He prepares the way for the one to reign to come in to his kingdom and reign. Samuel was before David, but Samuel died before David reigned. John the Baptist is going to die before Christ's kingdom sets up and he reigns in his kingdom here. John the Baptist died before Christ began to reign. Look at other ways that John the Baptist is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. You go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. And probably the greatest compliment that's ever been given to any person other than the Lord Jesus Christ comes from the Lord Jesus Christ when he says this about John the Baptist. He says, among them that are born of women, that means everybody, <laughs> other than Adam and Eve, everybody else came from a woman. Among them born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Wow, what a compliment. For the Lord that says, there's not risen a greater than John the Baptist. But then he adds this, but he that is the least in the kingdom is greater than he. There's one sense that even us that are least in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist is because we got to enter into the kingdom here. He died before it was set up. But man born among women, there's not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now, he was a forerunner of Christ as Samuel was a forerunner of David, who's a picture of Christ. But how's being a forerunner a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, do you know that in the scriptures there's actually just one person that is literally called a forerunner? Go to Hebrews chapter 6, last verse. Hebrews 6, the last verse, Paul says, Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He said that Jesus is our forerunner. Now what does a forerunner do? He prepares the way for one to enter into the kingdom and to begin to reign. Who prepared, what is the forerunner he's talking about here? Read the verse before it, verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. He's talking about that tabernacle that had a veil. It actually had two veils. It had one covering the door, and it had one veil in the middle, which covered the mercy seat, which the high priest went in just once a year to offer sacrifice. And that veil separated the holy from the holy of holies. And here's the picture of the kingdom of God in that. When you enter that tabernacle, when you enter the first room, that's like entering the kingdom here. But when you went behind the second veil, that's like into heaven itself. 
And the only the high priest could go in behind the second veil. And what did the high priest do, do behind the second veil? He made a sacrifice. Okay? Our Lord Jesus Christ came in this world. If you look at that tabernacle, the offering was made on the altar outside of the tabernacle. Jesus' offering was made in this world. But his offering was took by the high priest and offered behind the veil unto God. Jesus Christ's blood was shed here, but he took that blood and he offered it behind the veil in heaven to God. He made his offering to God. And when Christ was dead, when Christ died, it says that the temple, which they now worshiped in, it said the veil was rent. And that means he's now opened the way through his death so that the ones that he's a forerunner come, that they may come and reign. You know what the scripture says? We're going to be kings and priests unto God, reigning in heaven because the forerunner prepared the way. So Jesus Christ is a forerunner that John the Baptist and also Samuel were forerunners preparing the way for David and for Christ. Christ is a forerunner preparing the way for us to enter in within the veil. Now, if you kept up, that's six of them. There's one to go. And I say to me, the most unique one for last. This one is unique in ways that the other ones I showed you ways that they were similar in the way Adam, I mean, Abraham and Sarah was similar to uh, or Zacharias and all of them. But this one has a uniqueness about it that is just only to this one person. In all the previous six, I've told you this about them. I told you all six of the sons that came from them. And in five of them, I told you who their mother was. It doesn't mention Samson's mother. It just says the wife of Manoah. So I told you at least five of them's mother. It tells you six of them's father. But in this seventh one, I'm not going to be able to tell you who the mother was because it doesn't give her name. I'm not going to be able to tell you who the father was because it didn't give his name. And I'm not going to be able to tell you who the son was because it doesn't give his name. Go with me. You have your Bible too. 2 Kings chapter 4. This one has such a uniqueness to it in such a special way. In 2 Kings chapter 4. Beginning at verse 8. And the scripture says, It fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shuman, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on the day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and laid there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shumanite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. 
And he said unto him, Say unto her now, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is it to be done for thee that thou would be spoken for the king or for the captain of the host? And she answered and said, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is it to be done for her? And Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, says, She has no child. And her husband is old. Now it doesn't tell you her name. It doesn't tell you her mother, uh, husband's name. It's not going to tell you her son's name. But she has no child. And her husband's old. And when he called her. And, when he, had, and he said call her. And when he had called her. She stood in the door. And he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. You're going to have a son about this time, according to life, the time of life. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, she sat on her knees till noon and then died. And when she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out, and she called her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. Now her son, they brought him home. His head is killing him. And she puts him on his knees and he dies. So she carries him up to Elijah's room that she had prepared for him whenever he'd come by, and she laid him on Elisha's bed. Now she's sending for Elisha. And he said, Wherefore thou wilt go to him? Neither is it the new moon or Sabbath day. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive me and go forward. Slack not thyself riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shumanite. He says, Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? And asked her, is it well with thy husband? And asked her, is it well with thy son? Now he doesn't know. Elisha doesn't know that her son's just died. And I want you to look at her remarkable answer when she is asked, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy son? And she says, it is well. It is well. And when she came to the man of God, to the hills, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord had hid it from me, and has not told me. Then she says, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And he said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thy hand and go thy way. And if thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any man salute thee, answer him not. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before him and laid his staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and the child and told him, saying, The child is not awake. 
And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And when he went up and laid upon the child, he put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. And then it says he began to sneeze. Now look how unique this one is from, from all the rest. This child is the only one that we know of in the scriptures that are like the Lord Jesus Christ in this way. They both had a miracle birth. And they both experienced a bodily resurrection. Only Jesus and this child ever experienced both. Now I told you six other people that experienced a, a miracle birth. But they didn't experience a bodily resurrection. Now Isaac did in a figure. But he actually didn't die. The ram died. He was just a figure of the bodily resurrection. And there's people in the Bible that was resurrected from the dead. A Lazarus was. And Jairus' daughter was. But it didn't say they had a miracle birth. Here's a man, a boy, that experienced something that only he and Christ ever experienced. Of having a miracle birth and a bodily resurrection. And we don't even know his name. And I think there's a reason for that. We don't know his mother's name. We don't know his father's name. Because he's such a picture of Christ, let's just give Christ all the glory for that story. Christ knows who he is. And here's what's also special about them. And, uh, and this we all have in common. We've trusted that we have already experienced a miracle birth. And I'm not talking about me being born of William Howell Odom and Mary Martine Odom. I'm talking about I've had a miracle birth from God. Amen. And I expect a bodily resurrection. Jesus experienced both. This boy experienced both. And we're waiting to experience both. And in these seven women, the sons that they produced was a glorious appearance, uh, uh, figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you.